Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? It's Mark Marin. I'm here. I'm here in Canada still. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? Are you all right? Today, I guess in honor of me being in Canada, I'm having a Canadian comedian on, though he, we did recorded in L.A. Brent Butt is on the show today, and that was fun. I like him. He's always been a nice guy, and I'm glad we got to talk. And he's sort of a, a big celebrity up here in a way. Well, I don't think he would admit that, but uh, that's coming up. So I have been having, again, a, a nice time up here just on a spiritual level, if I can say that. I don't know if it's spiritual, just a part of me is relaxed up here because I'm in Canada and the, the air is not infused with the panic and aggression <laughs> that, that seems to be the electrical current kind of like hovering over uh, the United States of America right now. It, it kind of dissipates at the border, and you just kind of deal with life up here. There's just life happening in Canada. Now, I am in Hamilton, Ontario, which, uh, look, I don't want to be con- condescending because I'm, uh, I'm not from here, and I don't want to be the, the rude foreigner, but I, I, I think I am supported uh, by many people I've spoken to from Toronto and other parts of uh, of Canada that uh, Hamilton is not it's not it's not a high watermark for Canada it's uh, it's it's a little beat up here and it's it's kind of interesting but there's definitely a, 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 it's got its own frequency I don't know if it's the neighborhoods that I'm staying in or where we're shooting but there just seems to be a, a sort of ongoing ragtag parade of frenetic sadness in many manifestations just uh, it's weird when your focus is not consumed by what's going on culturally. You can really kind of zero in on people. And there's definitely a bit of a, a lot of humans twisted by soul sickness of one kind or another wandering the streets here. And it's, uh, it's been kind of interesting and sad, but also funny and, uh, and, and nice. How's that? Diplomatic? Anyways, that's my take on Hamilton. But I did have a, a tremendous experience at a supermarket. Now, before... I get to that. I do want to do some business because there's a lot going on uh, for me and maybe for for you as well, if you'd like. Uh, There's something happening this weekend. Now, I've told you about the movie I made with Lynn Shelton called Sword of Trust, which comes out on July 12th. Uh, You can go to swordoftrust.com to see if it's playing near you. But if you're in L.A., there's going to be an advanced screening this weekend as part of a retrospective of Lynn's work. 
this Saturday, June 29th. You can see Sword of Trust at 5 p.m. at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, followed by a triple feature of Lynn's films, Your Sister, Sister, Touchy Feely, and We Go Way Back. Then on Sunday, June 30th, there's a double feature starting at 7.30 of Hump Day and Outside In. So you can go to that and enjoy. And from what I understand, Lynn is going to be doing a Q&A at the end of every one of her movies there with people from the movie, hopefully. I am going to try to make the Q&A at the end of the sort of trust screening if I can get out of Canada and back to Los Angeles in time. If the shoot doesn't, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be, it's going to be a pretty harried night for me on the, coming up on Friday. I gotta, we're probably going to be shooting till 3 or 4 in the morning, and then I've got to try to get a morning flight out of Toronto, so I'll be in that haze that like there's no point in sleeping haze and then you're like let's i'll just go right to the airport and then you're there like four hours early you haven't slept and you realize i've made a terrible mistake i should have slept for two hours somewhere else and then you sleep uncomfortably on the floor with the floor sleepers there's always plenty of floor sleepers at airports and you wonder how long have they been here really are they in between flights did they get here uh just really early for another flight do they live here I don't know, but I might be among those people. We'll see. I don't know how that's going to pan out. The other thing I wanted to tell you is I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there's a new documentary called Blue Note Records Beyond the Notes, and it's opening in Los Angeles this weekend at the Lamley Santa Monica. The filmmakers are distributing this movie themselves, and it's really worth checking out. And these are not paid plugs, my friends. I think that everyone should educate themselves about the beautiful history of jazz. And, and it's and how it's influenced culture and where it comes from. So I, I think because I'm just learning it. I'm not even being some sort of jazz guy. I'm just learning it. Right. And I want a cookie. <laughs> I don't, come on, man. Seriously, what's happening? I'm punchy, you guys. I'm tired. That's what's going on. You know, I'm all right. I hope you're all right. And, you know, I'm just like it's been kind of a mind blowing week and a half doing this movie. I, I'm realizing that independent filmmaking has its own sort of compulsion, like, you know, the, the challenge on everybody's part to sort of, you know, make the day, you know, economize, make uh, kind of uh, compromises, but, you know, figuring out how to get what you need, that there's something intrinsically exciting about that. Because you, you hear about these movies that have hundreds of millions of dollars and it, that those sound like a disaster. Here, you're kind of working you know, kind of, you know, very economically and, and very precisely and you're moving quick that it's got its own charm. You know, I, I'm sure I'm not you know saying not surprising anybody involved in the pursuit of making independent film, but it's been sort of exciting to be part of the process of sort of like we got to do it. We got to get it. And, uh, you know, one or two takes, man. But everything's OK. There's been a weird swirl of events going on around me in terms of uh, sobriety, in terms of, you know, people reaching out and my own reactions to those people. And then I, I guess I could be more specific. I get a lot of emails from people and I got a disturbing email from someone who, like, as you know, that uh, I generally try to get back to people if they are, are struggling with, uh, you know, addiction or alcoholism and, and share my experience a little bit or give you know some sort of, you know, kind of uh, support. And, you, you know, I got a disturbing email from somebody who I don't really know that, you know, was suicidal and been the, in the sort of throes of, uh, you know, uh, alcoholic uh, kind of self-pity and pain. And 
you know, I had a reaction to that where I'm like, oh, come on, man. And, you know, and then I check back, you know, apparently he's okay. You know, he made it through, but I hope he gets it. And then like some other people in my life are struggling with, you know, codependency and that like, it just kind of swirls around all at once to make me realize, Hey man, I guess, uh, not that I'm a spiritual guy or a God person, but you know, sometimes, you know, I go mystical occasionally. Maybe it's time to sort of, uh, recommit read a little literature because i'm trying to help somebody else so i'm reading my literature and i'm like wow i did a lot of underlining over 20 years of having this book in my bag and i was like wow this stuff is pretty relative like this part like might help me why am i not doing this it's right here and i've done it before and it says to do it and i'll feel better why am i not doing that i don't know because it's too much effort is it 10 minutes at the end of a day it's weird how stubborn we are in our own patterns. This is not a self-help podcast, but man, like I, I am so ready to get out of some of them. I am so ready. And thank God I've got the equipment and the tools and the clarity of mind to do it. That's all. Some sort of weird collective, you know, the, the serendipity kind of surrounded me. Coincidences, transcended coincidence to congeal into some meaning for me around like, hey, Time to sort of do some work, pal. You want to break through to the next thing so you can settle into your body a little more? Well, get the book out, stupid. Yeah, that's how I read it. But I hope you're all okay out there. I hopefully will be back in LA uh, for, for next week's shows. If everything works out right, we got two days of shooting. I got to get ready to go do that. Uh, and right now, I want to, uh, to share with you uh, this interview that I did with Brent Butt, you can uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel, The Butt Pod. Also find him on Twitter, Instagram, and at brentbutt.com. Had a show up here for years that is now you know in, in animated form called Corner Gas. He's sort of a, like I said before, kind of a kind of a Canadian comedy star and a good guy. And I've run into him over the years at different festivals, and I was happy to chat with him. So this is me talking to uh, Brent Butt. It's weird because I had a friend in high school named Alan Butt and I keep wanting to say Alan because it's memorable when someone's last name is Butt. Anyways, Brent. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts but i don't think you can lump us all together i'm not trying in to one kind I'm not. of i mean there are i know there are only like 50 of us 
Well, I in would the whole, in the second biggest country in the world. It's about 102 Canadians. Yeah, you, you got you in Australia. You got lucky with the territory. Yeah, you, you got plenty of room to do whatever the fuck you want. I don't know what the hell. Why we? You know, you think, <laughs> geez, we got the second biggest country. Right. How? Yeah. And then come you, February, you realize why. Why it's so. <laughs> everybody wasn't lined up for it. <laughs> do you know? Well, I well, I don't want to lump Canadians together, and I don't because I know there's a tremendous diversity of people up there. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of Asians, a lot of indigenous people, uh, French Canadians, you know, who, you know, come from sort of pirate stock. <laughs> Do they? I had no, trappers, I'm learning about trappers, Canada. Here. Trappers. Pirate stock. No, trappers. trappers. Yeah, the voyageurs. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't they? they yeah, were, yeah, yeah. So they I wasn't were, off. I, I, and I'm not I being, don't know if pirates and trappers are... <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, well, no, but you know the the personality. You just figure they're like, hey, here we <laughs> let's go, go yeah, kill yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I have friends who have a trap. I shouldn't say friends, but guys that I knew yeah. growing up in my hometown. I grew up in this little town in northern Saskatchewan. I was back there, and I ran into one of the guys, and I was like, hey, what's going on? What are you up to? And he yeah. goes, oh, I was just with uh, my buddy, and we got a trap line. I'm what are like, they trapping? Well, I guess we're done talking. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> guys, got a you know. Twenty-first century is out trapping animals. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's a tradition. I mean, sometimes the untraditions die hard, right? Maybe he comes from trappers. He does not. Oh, it's just. He some, <laughs> I think he, you know, like, he, he trapping to torture and kill animals. That's he, what I think it is. It's not for their pelts or for their meat. Is he trapping rabbits? What are we talking? He didn't. Get I don't know. I literally walked away. Oh, really? I literally was like, "Hey, cool to see you. We're done talking." But <laughs> I strolled away. <laughs> but there are hunters up there. Do you do you judge hunters with the same? No, I feel uh, the, you, I just did not expect to hear. I, tra- you know, yeah, I think yeah. there's a different level of cruelty to trapping. No, th- no doubt. I mean, anything that the animal has to chew its limb off to escape is uh, yeah. cruelty. It shouldn't be alive to do that. Like somebody who shoots another per, like an execution style yeah. killer. That's right. bad, right? Yeah, right. But somebody who keeps you around and gives you <laughs> acid baths or whatever takes your fingers one at a that's time. That's horrible. That, that's a different level. Of yeah. It. Give so me you, the execution sure, guy. Sure. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or at least let me run. And you hunt me down. That's <laughs> no, a, that's a, that's that a sportsman way to do it. That's a sportsman's way. To if do you it. gave me the option of listen, you can run. <laughs> I'd stop you right there. No, I'm not going to run. Not Just gonna, kill me now. Yeah, got, Why am I, I going to die winded? <laughs> winded, and I have no survival skills. <laughs> I'll be out there. I'm quick to quit. Yeah, that's what I've learned. <laughs> like any time, you know that never. Yeah, failure is not an option. Sure I always it think it's like yeah, it's really plan. Yeah. Plan a. B, A, right? <laughs> a. <laughs> yeah, no, no failure. It's it's all. I, it's always what I assume is going to happen. Yeah, it's a high probability. Sure. So uh, when it doesn't happen, it's like, wow, I got away with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about my whole life. Yeah, me too, dude. I'm, I'm like, uh, holy hell, how did this happen? Uh, you telling me, man? You're telling me. So wait, okay, now let's go back to this generalizing. Let's go Canadians. back to the voyageurs. Yeah, because you. Well, see, I don't know, like, I, you know, I get people who are, like, a lot of people don't think necessarily the Canadians are, are that different or it's another country, but it's a whole other country, a whole other history, and I don't fucking know it. I had Charlie Demers in here, and I'm learning about a lot of things. Well, he's going to teach you a lot more about stuff than I will. You're well, gonna, I'm glad you I'm, learned stuff from him. I'm because. not asking <laughs> you about socialism and the future of the planet. Um the I, I have one Canadian joke. I only ever heard, you know how there's like jokes of yeah. different uh, cultures and yeah. stuff. I've only ever heard one Canadian joke, but I love it. What? Have you ever heard a Canadian joke? 
let's hear it other than mike wilmot (laughs) (laughs) that guy's the best he is i love that guy (laughs) he is i had him on my show playing cousin carl i'll tell you about that i'll tell you that story we're gonna work up to canadian joke we're gonna work up to that the only canadian joke all right how do you get 110 canadians out of a swimming pool how you say okay everybody time to get out of the pool (laughs) (laughs) no crying kids no one waiting back. No, just all right. Okay, it's time, I guess. <laughs> Fellow wants us out of the pool. Well, that's all, but you are there. There, there is a general politeness, if not uh, kind of mundanity. Jesus, <laughs> I never even heard that word. Is that actually a word? Because you can do, you can throw, you can make words up, but I won't catch you. I think it. it is. Let's try. Let's see if it fits. Mon- mundanity? Is it? Yeah, I think so. My, I, I'm not great with them. I throw them around sometimes. That sounds I'm, like more like an insult, like. like Kind of, you come in here with, do you have the mundanity to declare? No, no, it's uh, uh, the conditioner quality of being mundane. I think there is a general notion, and probably not inaccurate, that yeah. we're a little boring. In terms of, you know, people on the globe, Canadians are pretty, uh, but, we're pretty boring. Yeah, but there's a lot of funny people up there, and I found, I found the, like, but it's relative to the culture, right? I used to think it was boring, and, and the reason is you don't have people shooting everybody everywhere. Yeah, there's not you know insane sort of. I think uh, the the what is socialized up there is sort of tempered the competitive nature of the capitalism up there, so people aren't yeah. fucking you know. It's not unregulated capitalism, right? Like right. I was, I figure I'm a capitalist. I love sure. to make a buck. I love to. Ever since I was a little kid, I would try and sell stuff, and yeah. you know, I would. I would draw cartoons and try and sell them to my siblings. And they're like, why the hell would I buy your goddamn cartoons? But I was always into like trying to make a buck. You could just take it from your room. I don't need but, that. <laughs> but the notion of unregulated capitalism yeah. seems w- weird to me. I'm, I'm weird. for regulation. Weird? What do you, here's what it looks like. It looks like America right now. <laughs> this is the end game of unregulated capitalism. But you know, here's the thing about like when you wander yeah. around America. Yeah. Um, Maybe I just, you know, I don't wander around a lot of America. Yeah. Maybe I have a, a big, privileged big view. Sure. But, you know, things are going about. It's not dystopian. There's not, you know, roving not bands the, of marauders. Well, you're that, not going to the right areas. Yeah, that's you, true. You've got to go I mean. to the dystopian areas. You I'm too, my, I'm, it's my mundanity that keeps <laughs> me from seeking the adventure. <laughs> but wait, but, uh, but is there a way to, okay, so we've kind of generalized Canadians, but all the Canadians I've met are different. They're, they're yeah. like, and there's a lot of funny people that come out of there. Who'd I just interview? I, oh, I interviewed, uh, I've only got one more kid in the hall to interview. I just interviewed, oh, yeah? I interviewed Bruce. Yeah. Not too, uh, a couple weeks ago. He's I mean, a funny dude. He is. And a different way of funny. That's yeah. a, he's got a or, very original brain. Oh, yeah. A original brain, sort of his own time zone, that guy. Yeah. You're operating, at, you know, Mike McDonald, before he passed, I had yeah. him. At that point, he was a little slower because he was sick. Yeah. But, uh, you know, funny. Howie, I did. Mike Myers. He's an animated guy. Yeah. I don't know why I'm just naming Canadians. <laughs> it's like it's like when you have a, a black friend and you start saying, you know, all the, the black people you've met before. Yeah. It's like that with Canadians. <laughs> Listen, some of my friends are Canadian. Yeah, a few of them, yeah. But where where did you grow up in this rural? I grew up in the, uh, it's called northern Saskatchewan, but it's really, if you look at Saskatchewan. I, I have no idea. Is that west, east, middle? Right in the middle. It's oh. above... Like Winnipeg? North North Dakota and Montana. Oh, okay. Montana. oh yeah. Okay. Straight up. Straight up. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's boring in terms of geography. Yeah. There's nothing there. In There's fact, nothing? The, the borders. 
there's you know generally borders between states or provinces or whatever yeah. are defined by some river or a sure. mountain. <laughs> yeah. These are just two straight lines. Is it's there a like, sign? Is there a sign? Well, here I guess <laughs> we'll draw the lines here. Is there a sign? <laughs> for Saskatchewan? Yeah, you, you crossed, crossed over. <laughs> Congratulations, you're in Saskatchewan. <laughs> so it's like there's, it's, it's you know, it's bigger than Texas, but it has less than a million people there. It's or huge. right around a million yeah, people. Right. And what kind of, what do you say, there's nothing up there? Farmland. It, oh, it's farmland? It's not tundra? So, it's, it's workable well, land? this is why, so it's like a big rectangle. Yeah. The northern half is just bush, and there's like 15 people living in the northern it's half of Saskatchewan. Bush. And then the bottom half yeah. is just flat farmland. And so all the, you know, 98% yeah. of the population of Saskatchewan is, um, Kevin Rooney one time he said- wow, uh, you talked to him lately? He said, not in a long time, uh. no, but he always busted me up. Yeah. But he, he said there was all these pe- people- it's a pie crust of Canadians huddled along the warmth of the American border. And that's kind of what it is. There's, so I lived in what they call northern Saskatchewan. That's where I grew area. up. But it was the northern half of the southern populated portion. Uh, okay. So you're just at the edge of it. You could look out yeah. and see like there's nothing. Yeah. And that was another thing he was talking about. He was like, where you grew up, he said to me, "What as a kid- Yeah. When you go to bed at night, are you just staring out the window wondering what kind of frost monster is going to crawl down from the top of the world and eat you in your sleep? And I was like, that's such a great Rooney sentence. Yeah, you know? but it's also, were you? Not at all. <laughs> you don't know anything. But I mean, it, it's it's very, you know, there's like one person for every five square well, miles. Well, what are we talking? Let's generalize some more. Are these Are these hill people? Are they decent people? Are they scary people? Are they... Uh, are they people that you, you you see and you wave from a distance and go, what the fuck's that guy up to? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know, you don't run into a lot of people. Yeah. So uh, there's a wariness. Yeah. Right? But it's not You're dangerous. Like, oh, God, yeah. there's another person. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, do you come from farmers? Yeah. I was a townie. Like, my, my parents were both farm people and for the first three kids like i'm the i'm the seventh kid i mean holy shit how catholic are you we weren't at all it was really cold and nothing to do i guess (laughs) (laughs) um to have another one yeah Yeah, and no no uh, no birth control up north no i i'm sure that in fact my my mother i remember when i'm sure the last five of us were accidents right you don't (laughs) had no money why do you want more kids yeah i remember saying to my mom or she's saying to me we were watching some made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was home visiting her one time when I was, I think I was maybe 40 at this time. It's good you weren't living with her. <laughs> no, so back home visiting her, and she was watching some cheesy, like, yeah. um, made-for-TV movie. And at the act break, before we go to commercial, the woman finds out, the star of the movie finds out she's pregnant. She yeah. doesn't want to be. Oh, no, that's the go to commercial. And so my mother says... Uh, she she says, yeah, I remember, you know, when I found out I was pregnant with you, I looked up to God and I said, why, why, why? <laughs> Can you imagine? I said, mom, you're not supposed to tell the kid that. And she goes, what are you, 40? Did you not feel loved? She was like a real hard ass, hard farm woman, had no time for, she was, oh, did you not feel loved? How old was she at the time? 76. She was 36 when I was born. Fuck, you made me do math. I- I'm sorry. But it's weird, though, because there is, it doesn't seem to be, the statute of limitations on what you can tell your children uh, about things they shouldn't know about runs out somewhere in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, they so. start, It starts coming out in the 70s when yeah. they're like, I didn't know how to love you when you were a child. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Wait a minute. <laughs> what? I didn't even know if I was going to <laughs> yeah. or if I'd be able to. Yeah, it's like, well, that, that answers a lot of questions for me. <laughs> so uh, you were the last one? Yeah. 
Oh my god! Oh, seven of seven. Do you know all the other ones? Yeah, I can I can rattle off their names. <laughs> yeah. Elna, Elmer, Velma, John, Della, Lloyd, and Brent. That's the thing. The, it's this weird hodgepodge of names, like a lot of unusual names. Elna, Elmer, Velma. That's the first three. Elna, I know one other Elna. <laughs> Elna, Elmer, Velma. Then John. Yeah. Like these, shifting gears. Yeah, yeah. And then back to Della, Della after that, and then Lloyd and Brent. Are these family names? I I, I don't know. Like I asked Velma. I, I know Elmer. I believe your I brother. Story. My old, the oldest boy in the family, Elmer, was named after my my dad. Fought in World War Two, and uh-huh. he had a buddy there, and his name was Elmer or something. It's I think a pretty that's pretty good name. Yeah, solid I mean, name. it's like a yeah, it's like it's a classic. Especially if your last name is Butt, then it's very Elmer Fudd close. Elmer yeah. Butt, Elmer Butt. But like, it's like one of those names where it's like a, it was kind of like a a, a, t- a working class name. I don't yeah. know when, but you don't hear it anymore at all. Yeah, Elmer is he still around? Yeah. Oh, everyone's still with us. Yeah, all my siblings are still with that's us. That's great. And there was an eighth. There was an eighth who died in infancy, somewhere oh. in the middle there between us. Oh, really, Wayne? Yeah. Oh, so Wayne. there would have been eight, but he—he uh, he was a matter of, I think, so a your, month old. So your mom was tough. Yeah. Was she like? Where did Just she come from? Was she Canadian? Era hard farm woman. But all really, but all from Canada for generations. Yeah, although her fa- she was born in Canada, but yeah. her family came from Nebraska. They, Scandinavians. I always, I always said they moved from from Nebraska to Saskatchewan because they wanted to gear down. They wanted they couldn't handle the hurly burly pace of ne- <laughs> punk in Nebraska, <laughs> so they came to Saskatchewan. It's probably for more land. Well, it was Saskatchewan was they were trying to populate, right? And so they were giving away very. Were they Scandinavian? Land. You don't no, know. Irish. Oh, yeah. her heritage and, and my you, father's heritage was English. But uh-huh. how they get to Canada? Why Canada? Well, with my. Parent, my mother's Nebraska, parents, like it was right. the land yeah. giveaway. Yeah, they could literally get three. They sold their farm in Nebraska and got like three times as much land. Or something, right, four sure. Times that's how. Land. That's how they they did it here too. They they had all these. Um, I think they were like uh, Siberian or or Scandinavian. Like no one knew how to farm that land up there, so they gave away the land to people from countries that had the right, type similar. of weather. Yeah, and you know that's why you There's get a lot this. of Ukrainians came to Saskatchewan. Oh yeah. Because huh. they they it was very similar mm-hmm. on the same winter what do you call, wheat a parallel or whatever yeah yeah and so a lot I was the only of my buddies growing up they were almost all Ukrainian stock oh yeah I was the uh, good I said I was the visible minority because my shirt wasn't button crooked <laughs> Did that you? was my anti uh, Ukrainian joke it's to my friends good. growing up yeah, yeah knocking that community the Ukrainians <laughs> they don't but get I was shit I was the minority yeah. you gotta understand yeah. I was free Did you to get to eat at their house a lot? Like oh, pierogies yeah. and unbelievable food. Good so food, great. right? And then they were I was always like a little fat kid and their parents would always say I was too skinny. I loved that. They'd be like, eat some more, have some more sausage, you're too skinny. Well what were they farming, man? What, what do you know? Changes by the market, you oh, know, yeah. whatever. But m- there was a ton of wheat, yeah. a ton of uh, canola or rapeseed. My hometown, Tisdale, Saskatchewan, had this fa- they just changed it as of a couple of years ago. Yeah. But for fifty years or something they had this Town motto was the land of rape and honey. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was kind of this controversial thing and got them a lot of attention because they grew rapeseed and there were a lot of apiaries there. So it was the land of rape and honey. And there was some heavy metal band that called their album the land of rape and honey after seeing that on like a coffee yeah, mug. Sure. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd like one of those mugs. So they changed it, I guess. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. To something very mundanity. Yeah. Mundane. Something, it's like the where, where opportunity grows or something like that. Oh, something very still a lot of bees. I up there? put in. I, I I offered up. My suggestion was uh, welcome to Tisdale, Saskatchewan, home of the pointless fist fight. That was my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't think it'd be good. Still a lot of bees up there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Still a lot of bees. That was like all my life. I think actually the year that I was born, yeah. my father took a job at the honey plant where they processed honey and mm. he ran the boiler rooms and stuff there. Yeah. Did, so you had plenty of honey growing up. Yeah. Loads of honey. Like always. the raw stuff in the cone? When or I no? Still when I smell honey, like if you're in a store and there's yeah. like a bees wax candle. Yeah. And it, smel it smells like my dad. I, oh, really? I launch back. It reminds me of my dad. That's crazy. That's a unique uh, and, and singular yeah, uh, it really sense is. memory. Yeah, it is. And it's so locked in. Like it's so tied to your olfactory senses and your memory. Is yeah. So... And that smell. Beeswax. Beeswax. Smells like my dad. And he was just, you know, he just- was a scrappy didn't have anything invested in, in honey necessarily it's nope. just a job it went to work yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he ran the boiler room i don't know what the <laughs> hell they needed boilers for to but... get the wax they probably that's how they separated shit right they had to separate I the guess. wax from the honey and there was just bees like just all around the, yeah. the factory i remember i have this very clear memory one time because i used to go with them sometime to work of course and hang out in the summer you know yeah. summer holidays home from school because the boiler room was very it seemed like the bat cave to me you know yeah yeah one wall of it was just like dirt it was like carved out of dirt and really? then there was like you know pipes and yeah. everything like a mad scientist sure. kind of sure. like a bat cave and so I used to like to go hang out there, and I I have this clear memory of one time he was t he was telling me something, and as he was talking, he was going to put on you know he's putting on these big rubber gloves yeah. that he used to handle these hot barrels or yeah. whatever. So he's talking to me, puts on these gloves, and then he takes the glove off. He doesn't even lose a sentence, like, yeah. and about nine bees fly out of this glove. <laughs> And I, he never even stopped talking. And I said to him, didn't you get stung there? He said, oh, yeah, I got stung a lot then. <laughs> but it was just like part of the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got stung it's 50 work, times a day. work hazard. <laughs> so the, the bees are just there because it smells so good. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they love the way my dad smelled. Yeah. And, and to this but day, were... many bees, when they smell that, they think of your father. <laughs> think of my father. <laughs> Remember that, dude? <laughs> But yeah, there was no room for, so, you know, depression era, you yeah. know, my dad fought Nazis and the whole thing. And Did he? My, yeah, he was fought in World War II and and my mom was depression era farm woman. So there was no room for complaining growing up. Right. That's probably good. You know, you could grouse a little, get your point across, but don't, I don't want to hear you complaining about a bunch so of stuff. So you went ahead and made a career out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you found I, your voice. I don't even, like my comedy is very... It doesn't even come from a place of complaining, no, like I most know, comedy does. Yeah, it's observational. Know? Yeah, and it's re really kind of, it comes from a place of, here's what I don't get. Right. It's right. legitimately, I'm puzzled by things. Right. So how does that, so you're you're the runt of this litter, and did you, like, were you, did you learn a lot from your brothers? Were you wearing everyone else's clothes? How did yeah. that work? Yeah, were all you, that stuff. Because we, were... you know, we didn't have any money growing up. I don't know much how much my dad was making. What well, he yeah. was hauling down net for running the uh, but you had boiler rooms, and uh, right oh, everybody yeah. got taken care of. Yeah, that's I mean, a lot of kids. You don't have seven kids without health care. So there's a lot of uh, yeah. There was a lot of hand me downs. Yeah, and then my mother worked at the the local thrift store, mm. right? So people would donate their clothes, and then sometimes she would bring clothes. Something would be like, "This would fit you," and I'd be like. I'm going to go to school. That was always my fear was like, I was going to go to school and some kid would be like, God damn, that's my shirt, man. That's the one we threw away. Yeah. I got a new one. Now you're wearing it. <laughs> so but, yeah, you that that puts you in the state of like, um, you know, where you're verbally, you got to verbally be able to lash back at anybody who's going to make fun of you. Right? right. And I think that's a good, that's a good background for developing comedy. Oh, absolutely. Guarded, defensiveness. But the whole thing around Preemptive strike. We were all trying to make each other laugh growing up. That and was their thing. What did your, your uh, siblings end up doing? Are they t you know, teachers? and Very di very different things. Elmer 
Um, Elmer with the good name. <laughs> Elmer with the good name. <laughs> yeah, that's a Jay Z song. Isn't it? Beyonce yeah. song. <laughs> um, he he fixes and um, like watches and clocks, and he's he's one of the few people that knows how to because he's kind of self taught and he's yeah. done this his whole adult life. He people send him antique clocks from all over the place because really? he's the only dude who knows how to. Take apart a clock, figure it doesn't matter what the mechanism is, he takes it apart, figures out how it's supposed to work, what's wrong. So he's like a, 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 a very specialized person. Like, does he do yeah. museum pieces and stuff? And they send, like, is he world Often renowned? He, he, the, the, the premier of the province of Saskatchewan called him to come fix the uh, clock that the province of Quebec had given to Saskatchewan as a gift in 1906 or something. And was but, this something like you see him around when you were a kid? Did you see him taking things apart? Yeah. Oh, that was his. And a Apparently, my parents always said with him, <laughs> yeah. from the time he was a kid, if he gave him a little toy, he'd just take it apart. Yeah. That was the first thing he'd do. He didn't want to play with it. Take it apart, see how the hell it worked. It's, I have none of that. We're all very different, I think, my siblings. Yeah. I have no curiosity or understanding of how anything works. I don't want to know. How is he with cars? Yeah, he's awesome with cars. Really? Two of my brothers are great with cars. Yeah. Um, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then me and another one of my brothers were like into writing <laughs> and language and yeah. I play music and we yeah. but we're all kind of an offspring of you know my father was like that he was like the toughest dude you ever met yeah but he also wrote poetry oh. and played music yeah and he was this really diverse uh eclectic know, cat eclectic dude yeah renaissance man yeah he really was and your mom so just... he like built our house with his bare hands oh he did <laughs> You know, I I don't know how. The only thing he wouldn't do is electrical. Because oh, he yeah. said, that shit would kill you. Yeah, you imagine, there's no wiggle room there with that. <laughs> Plumbing, things get wet if you mess up. But, you know, like electricity, you're done. <laughs> Hire a pro for that. He's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a wise man. And your mom just, what, she do? She raised the kids. That's a lot. You know, that's a that's full-time. Was full -time it like gig. one every year? What are the, what are the? You know, like every two or three years. There's, there's seven of us. Uh, spread out over 16 years. Between the oldest and myself, there's 16 years. Oh. So how do you, uh, like, from that world, how do you, like, because uh, the comedy world in Canada, I know a lot of the guys, and I know how it's kind of set up, but how do you start doing that? I mean, were you doing another job first? My only real path in life was to do stand-up. It was the only thing that I was interested in doing. It's the only thing that made sense to me, outside of... You know, I had a dream of playing in the NHL, being a goalie in the NHL, but it was, that was kind of a pipe dream. The I hockey knew, dream. That's yeah. a, every Canadian kid's dream. Yeah. Right? And I knew, I was wise enough to know early on, this is not going to, I don't have yeah, the yeah. skill yeah. set. Right. But the only other thing, when I was 12, there used to be this talk show, afternoon talk show that was videotaped live in Vancouver yeah. five days a week. Yeah. This guy, Alan Hamill, was mm -hmm. the host of the show. He ended up marrying Suzanne Summers, and he- he left the show to be go be her manager, and it was right. taken over by Alan Thick, became oh, yeah. the host of the this and afternoon he, talk show. To he Vancouver. became sort of big here, and Thick. they had yeah yeah the Thick of the Night. Remember, he had a sure. nighttime talk show. Yeah, I don't think it lasted that no. long, and I think his son got, just had to pay uh, the estate of Marvin Gaye. A lot <laughs> yeah, of money. we were just Nancy and I were just <laughs> talking about that last night. But anyway, the this afternoon talk show had. Um, maybe two or three days out of the week, they would have a stand-up comedian on there. And that was the first time, and I, rem I remember the first time I ever saw a stand-up comedian We're, we're like the same age, so you're talking, how old were you? I was 12. So it was like 1978, something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah? 
And Kelly Monteith was the guy. Kelly Monteith. Yeah. Monteith? Monteith. Monteith, yeah. Yeah. And I'd never seen, a, like I'd seen, you know, sketch comedy yeah. and sitcoms and guys being funny. Yeah. But just somebody walking out and standing there and talking and not really doing, he wasn't like doing knock knock jokes yeah. or something. He was just a guy talking about stuff and yeah. being hilarious. I know, it's a great moment. Isn't and it, it just changed my world. It's like, oh, yeah. holy, that's an option? Yeah. Because that's what I do with my buddies now while we're yeah. waiting to get <laughs> into right. the school. And Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to remember what he looks like. He was like, he's an American guy, isn't he? Yeah, an American guy. And then he had a, he had big success over in Britain for, uh, for a while. Yeah. Yeah, he was the first dude that I saw, and I, I became obsessed. So every afternoon, when I was home from school in the summer, huh. um, yeah. the first thing, I would always make sure I was home at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, because they would say at the start of the show whether they have a comedian on or not. Right. If they didn't, I'd bugger off and go play with my buddies. If they right. did, I'd be like, I'll be out in an hour. That became my path. It was Who like, else all did I was you see? Who else in. did you think was great? Because were there Canadian comics at that time? Yeah, yeah. So, so. A lot of the guys 19. were Toronto Yuck Yucks comedians, like Mike McDonald. That's where I Already, first saw Mike McDonald. Right, so this is the late Larry 70s? Larry Horowitz. Late 70s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so all those guys, like, you know, Lawrence Morgenstern and- Oh, it's also the first place I saw Richard Lewis. I remember, because he was like nobody else I'd ever seen. Yeah. He was just all over the map, and Alan Thick didn't know what to make of him. And right, <laughs> like right, he, yeah. But he was cracking everybody up. Yeah. And I was so enamored by this, nothing seemed- scripted with him he was just like pulling ideas out of the air he was so manic and, yeah. I, and I remember after the show was over going out to meet my buddies to uh you know play baseball yeah. or whatever the hell we were doing i was trying to exp trying to do his stuff to right, them right. and none of it made sense in their like, head wandered like, pacing around yeah 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 he still works that way yeah he, so, he definitely uh is that out was, there on the wire that was my window to to stand up and so, then i did it for the first time in high school like at a variety night drama night you know yeah yeah I offered up doing stand-up, and that was weird to them. They were like, what do you mean? <laughs> and so I Did you do it? Yeah, and it went well. Encouraged me. I did it the next year, and that kind of gave me the notion that, oh, well, maybe I can do this. And so then, that was your only job? You never, do you never try anything no, else? No, because I was like 17 then. Right. And there weren't- uh, When I was 21, there was a club that opened up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, yeah. which is two hours away, and I moved there to start it. But yeah, between seven. Between leaving high school, like I knew I wasn't going to go to college or yeah. anything, so I worked as a drywaller. I worked as an illustrator and cartoonist for the local newspaper and you another did? newspaper nearby. Yeah, you still draw? Yeah. Huh. You still do cartoons? Yeah. Really? You sell yeah. them? We're doing, you know, no, I, well, in a weird way, I guess, because mm. Corner Gas, the TV show that I did, we're now doing the animated version of that we're in season two of the animated version so we're like actually when i left high school getting a lot of mileage out of corner grass <laughs> holy man it's the I, i'm like i'm the new gilligan i'm like the canadian gilligan i'm gonna be opening boat shows and stuff but yeah we're doing the animated version now listen so, when somebody comes to you and says hey do you, you want some do you want to continue making a living well, I mean, okay, so you start out and you, you're at that club in Saskatoon. Yeah, that's where I and first started. So, like, you got a local crew there and then you got the the Canadian dudes that come through, but it's not a Breslin club, right? Yeah, it was. It oh, was yeah, it Yuck was Yucks? Yeah, it was one of the, yeah. Because, like, no one works without his, you've got to be knighted by Mark Breslin. Yeah, at I the feel, time, that's how it was. I feel like he emailed me or somebody did. But whatever, I know he runs Canada. Like, he's just a guy that runs comedy in the entire country, basically. <laughs> Ran. Ran. Yeah. No more. It's not that way anymore, no. No. Oh. But it was that way, for sure. For years, right? The notion that you could, you know, and and there, it was very 
propagandized to the comedians too. It was like you can't make a living outside of, you know, you have to do whatever we say because you can't possibly make a living yuck outside yucks. of. Outside yeah, and of so yuck yucks. and after about four, four and a half years of me working with Yucks, I'd kind of had enough. There was me and a group of another like twelve, well, like, so, twelve well, comedians that we all, we all left at once basically. And so we, y- you have that fear of like, oh my god, am I ever going to be able to make a buck? And within a week, this is God's honest truth. Within a week. Of uh, me leaving, yucks, I was booked on A&E's Comedy on the Road and I had HBO phone me at home to come do their um, Young Comedians, uh, audition for the Young Comedians special. And both conversations started with, is it true that you have nothing to do with Yuck Yucks anymore? Why? Because they that was uh, so good, it was like was a, it was like I was on their radar, but if it's going to be uh, if I got to deal with yucks, I'm not going to buy. Well, what, okay, so tell me about that because like that that's not really something that ever really happened here. There was like here it was more of a tradition. I mean, the improvs became a chain, but from my recollection and, and not necessarily from my experience, outside of Catch a Rising Star and the improvs which came later, you know, the club owner was a very specific type. Yeah. yeah, and you had to deal with each one independently. Yeah. You know, yeah, some you had to party with, some you had yeah. to be nice to, some you had to listen Those to. Those were yeah. the ones I could never get on. The ones that wanted to pay you in Coke. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't, I would, yeah. I'm really into paying my rent. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, well, yeah, they got a few guys. You know who the guys are, they, you know, who got paid in Coke. But, uh, but so you're starting in Saskatoon, you're doing what, they have an open mic? Yeah. Thursday and, night. First, it was the first night in February, nineteen eighty-eight. I still, I remember the. Uh, yeah, and then you're you 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 stay in that area, and you're kind of you know building well, for, your for act. a matter of months. Building so, the act. Yeah, so I was going down an amateur night, and um, it was going well. Yeah. So I got offered a couple weekend spots, uh-huh. paid spots, uh-huh. and then they were like, "Hey, there's this guy coming through, John Wing Jr., who I'd seen on TV." I know Wing. Yeah, I saw he's him a great do a guy. Canadian night at the Comedy Store. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Was it like Canada Day, July first? Yeah, I, I think it might have been. I think it might have been. So but Wing, anyway, they, so they, they said hey, this guy's coming through, um, and we we need an opening act for him. He's going to go do a show at Diggers in Prince Albert. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, goddamn, I'll Digger. do it. So there were Ten independent clubs at that time. There were well, independent clubs at that time outside of the well, Yucks. Well, it was like a one, but it was a one-nighter that oh, was right, booked right. through Yucks, right? So oh, if you okay. were the headliner that was coming oh, in to play re- that he, club. He really had it under wraps. So he oh, had, yeah, he had, so he had the clubs and he had the fucking one-nighters yeah. out in the boonies, right? Yeah, yeah. So he'd book an, uh, a night at a bar or a, or a hall, yeah. and it would be a, a weekly gig. It was a one-nighter. But it was still Breslin. Yeah. God, he so really you would, so you would, uh, you know, you're booked to play the club Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, let's uh-huh. say, and then maybe, you know, the Tuesday, Wednesday before that, you'd come into town, you'd do, you go drive out North to the Battleford thing. and Prince Albert, you'd do these little towns, all that, Breslin gigs. Yeah. So the payoff was you could do the club. Yeah. Yeah. If you do this, you can open at the club too. Yeah. Right. But so what? So the, there were just no other options, Did, and no one would try to start clubs outside of Breslin. Yeah, people would try to start clubs. Yeah, and then he forbids you. Let's from put working. it this way: this is all for legal reasons. This yeah. is my recollection of how it went down. Yeah, right. Okay, does that cover me legally? Sure. Um, this is my, this also is the, the, I, <laughs> this is also the no one gives a shit anymore clause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, the, as I recall. You yeah you you were basically told that you you can't work for anybody that you know yeah that was the one place that would book you so other places would other people would try to start comedy clubs but they had no they had very limited access to talent to Canadian talent yeah. 
because local like, talent. Right. So because you're- And then a, even out of towners, like if somebody like yourself wanted to come through and play that club, you would, the notion was, as I recall, you yeah. would be f- forbidden from playing Yucks. And th- that was the big chain. So you don't want to- you don't want to piss it, off the it, big chains, so you could play one. Right, but I, but I think to, in, as a testament to the the good thing that Breslin did was he was pretty loyal to Canadian comics. I mean, it wasn't easy for American acts to do yucks, tor- you know, for a while, right? I mean, it was mostly Canadian acts, no? Yeah, but I don't know how much the loyalty plays into that as well, opposed no, to I, just, you know, grabbing, oh, here's some schnooks off the street who will work for a soda. I, well, I guess so, but it, he did give you the stages. Yeah, so it's one of those things. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. Like, well, how long did the Iron Fist of Breslin? <laughs> well, if he, you know, if Yuck started in the 70s and then so early 90s, I was living in Toronto by this time, Toronto comic, right? Yeah. Because I, I started in Saskatoon, but within months I'd moved to Calgary, which was the mm-hmm. kind of booking center for Western Canada. And then yeah. I was there for months and then. Uh, another comedian by the name of Jamie Davis just called me up out of the blue. I barely knew him. I had met him once at a yeah. comedy competition. He said, listen, I'm going to Toronto. I, you should hop in my car and come with me because you should be seen by the people who booked the clubs out there. La- Laugh Resort? No, this was pre-Laugh Resort. Uh-huh. So I went out to Toronto. So I was living in Toronto. Long story short, I worked in the Yucks organization for about four years and then uh, kind of had it. You but know. there were other clubs in Toronto. Yeah, so there was, at the time, myself and 12 other comedians right, basically yeah. said, we're leaving all at once. Right. And there was another club that had started up a little before that called the Laugh Resort. And now suddenly they had um, the the talent pool that they had previously, as well as this new talent pool of 12 other comics that they didn't have access to before. And it, uh, it gave them enough uh, of a talent pool to maintain an existence and that was the beginning of the loosening of the iron glove of the iron the fist of breslin the breslin iron fist of funny yeah i didn't work yucks forever i mean i'd go up and do montreal and you know do the jimmies and go to these festivals and i did the laugh resort but i i didn't work a yuck yucks forever until like not too long ago i did that downtown one and i don't even remember what town was it montreal (laughs) Is it Toronto? Toronto, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I haven't played, I haven't that's play, why I, I haven't been within the that organization since the early 90s, so I don't even really know how it works anymore. Oh, so you're out, out. Yeah, I mean, from the time I left. He wouldn't put you back, not even now, as big an act as you are? He wouldn't. Oh, no, for, for sure, there was, I would always get, uh, you know, like other headline comics that played his club would always come to me and go, listen, I, uh. I think, uh, you know, I think uh, I could get you back into the room. I'd be like, why the hell am I want to? I'm playing theaters. Why yeah, right. the hell am I? <laughs> why would I go back there? But the but the theater shift came after the show, I imagine. Yeah. Well, so how did- So there was, pre- there was other independent clubs, Rumors in Winnipeg and La- Laugh Resort. And, you know, there were clubs and you could go around and make a Rumors is still around, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a good club. Is it? I've, only, I've done the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Uh, and that was the only time I was in Rumors Winnipeg. is a great club. It's kind of everything you want in a comedy club. It's that basement, low ceiling. Oh, yeah. Fantastic sight lines, no pillars. It's uh-huh. like kind of an ideal. Really? With this, the back of the room is tiered up, you know, ah. on that second level. So, and it seats like whatever, 275 or 300 people or something. So it's really huh. fantastic setup. I, I think the last time I saw you actually, maybe not, 
we played a curling rink. <laughs> That's exactly right. And that was the gala. In Vict- at yeah, the Vic- Victoria. <laughs> the Blue Blue Bridge Comedy Festival. Yeah, that was the big show because you could pack a lot of people on? in the curling rink. That festival? Yeah, that still goes on. I think that was like, didn't we do like the first one? I think it might have been. And the, but the curling rink was terrible. I was watching. Yeah, you know, well, just, it was very echoey, right? Yeah, you couldn't hear. You couldn't time yourself. I was watching other people, and you know, they'd say something on the stage. Like three seconds later, you'd hear it in the back, and then it would bounce <laughs> yeah. off the fucking concrete. And, it's, it's, a, it's just not a good setup. Are they still I, playing? If there's are any they, comedy bookers out there? Curling arenas, not great. Not great. Are they you still gotta, using that for the gala? I don't know. Yeah, I would hope I not. Say, I couldn't say. It was like it was one of the worst memories of my life. But and you I did only, well. You did well. I do not remember doing well yeah re- because they're la- you because you couldn't hear their laughter the same way you can't hear the, your own voice couldn't hear anything everything was happening a second or two after it happened yeah it is very kind of surreal and, and then, so you got to disjoint yourself from what you're saying and what you're hearing yeah you got to be two different great things. that's a whole other skill i need to yeah that's what i gotta if you're playing a if you want to work victoria my friend <laughs> I just remember seeing you, and we were, had a long conversation about the uh, the Cheetos type of snack. Oh yeah, cheesies, Hawkins cheesies, Hawkins cheesies. They're in my rider. They're when I travel. Hawkins yeah. cheesies. Yeah, you you oh schooled me on Hawkins cheesies because they're they're a hard, crunchy. They they're are cornmeal based. Yeah, they're very good. You, this is exactly the pitch you gave me. Go on. They're made with real mm-hmm. Canadian cheddar. Yeah, you know, like some not, not right. like some kind of weird yeah. chemical cheese. Yeah. Very high level of sodium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like is the, but I think it's the crunchy thing. It's yeah. like they're they're like they're like che- more satisfying Cheetos because yeah. you can taste that they're real cheese and it's it's real the yeah, cornmeal. Real real. Cornmeal is very crunchy. Yeah, you had me going on them. Like yeah. I was, and I'm not even that kind of. I should have like as a good guest. I should have thought to bring some down for you. Yeah, I mean, I I am not even a you know a, a bag snack kind of guy. I'm not. Uh, a chips what I recall or, of that situation yeah. was you were very begrudgingly. You you didn't want to like the cheesies. You no. didn't want to like the Canadian snack. You were no. like, yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah. And then you could see the res- the resolve <laughs> in your face dwindling as with each morsel of it. And you were like finally like, God damn, these are pretty good. I got to say. <laughs> yeah, man. You didn't want to like the Canadian snack. So, okay, so you, you leave Breslin, then you come down here, and you didn't get the HBO Young Comedians, but you did do comedy on the road with who? Biner? Who was hosting Yeah, that? John Biner. And right. I ended up later touring with John Biner. In Canada? Yeah, he came through. Actually, the guy who owned uh, Rumors Comedy Club, he's since passed away now, but he he put together <laughs> this show that was three Canadian comedians opening for John Biner. Yeah. Well, John Biner worked as the host, really, what sure, it was. Sure, that's he would probably the best. Three, yeah. Um, and he just took a bath on the tour, I remember. like cause there was No one cared about John Biner? Well, it was like, it wasn't that... I said to him on the tour, I said, I don't know who the hell you kind of think we are here. Who was it? Like, it was me and John Rogers and, oh, yeah, and um, uh, me and John Rogers and- I don't uh, remember anything about it <laughs> other than like, why oh, is this and guy And Derek so Edwards was the other guy on the tour. Do you ever see him? He's a Canadian uh, dude who never ventured down here really. I don't know if I've seen but him. But he, he's maybe uh, the funniest dude walking the planet. Derek, no shit. Derek Edwards. Let me go. Look, I got to. He's look one at of those guys. Face. I remember when I did A and E's comedy on the road. Yeah. Um. That same year, he was on another. You know, they would take multiple nights. And yeah. And so he was on it, and you could see all the U.S. managers snap to attention when Derek started talking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" 
Yeah, how's he doing? But I don't think he's very ambitious. You know, he's like this slow-talking Northern Ontario dude who just wants to be out at the cabin, really. That's all he wants in life. So I don't think- Well, some dudes get, you know, if you get too comfortable, you stay there. You know, what do you got to make your life miserable? Well, you get get popular there. You want to come here and be nobody? Yeah, I think his notion was just, I want to make enough money doing stand-up that I can go out to the cabin every year. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice one. (laughs) So so he tours and plays theaters in Canada. And then he takes some time off. So funny. Yeah. Um, and he's one of those guys that, you know, I always said there's people who can be amazingly successful and not work that hard yeah. just because of their talent. Right. And then there are other people that maybe aren't that talented, but they can be successful because they, they work just work right. harder than everybody. True. And then you get some people that are crazy talented who work really hard. Yeah. And that's what he was like. He worked, he wasn't, am, I don't think he had great ambitions. Right. I'm talking like he's dead. He doesn't have great ambitions, I don't think. Other than he wants his act to be really good. Right. So that dude, he had so much natural ability to be funny. And then you'd see him at, you know, middle of the afternoon at a coffee shop with his notebook, just yeah. hammering away at yeah. jokes. And you're like, God damn. Yeah. You got to work that hard and be that funny. And That's- he's got, he made a good life for himself. Yeah, yeah. Without having to, you know, be, you know, be the biggest star in the world. Yeah. So look him up sometime, Derek Edwards. I'd like to. I, I'm surprised I haven't seen him. I'm he's good at buddies with Wil- Wilmot. Him and Wilmot were like are they up there? Are cabins the pod, near, you know? near yeah. each other? They would go up. That they would leave their wives behind, go up into the bush and do God knows what. Yeah. <laughs> and just come back haggard, you know, yeah. like what, they'd been. What do you mean, God knows what? I I know Wilmot. I've seen him at festivals. <laughs> I know exactly what he's doing. He's like a health nut now. Is he? Good. Yeah. Probably had to be. Yeah, I think he, he had a got, bit of a health scare. And then now scared, yeah. he runs. Oh, good. He doesn't smoke. I don't think he drinks. He quit smoking and drinking? Yeah. Uh, Mike? And he's like, he probably weighs the same as you. Well, he's like about my age, our age, I'm a little yeah, older yeah. than you, right? But he looked like he was- No, he was younger than me. But he's he just- younger than me. Right. He looked like- He, he looked oh, hard, he, hardcore. Okay. Oh, yeah. All those he just talk like that all the time. He was like that great kind of fun, drunk uncle. Yeah. Hey, you guys there. So funny. Yeah, so funny. Still funny? Healthy? Oh, yeah. He, oh, good. He, he kills, and he's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great that he's uh, he tra- took he turned around. Yeah. Well, I think he, uh, I don't know the details. I think, I get the vibe he had a health scare. Sure. And said, I got to turn this train around. Good and for him. And then he's got so much, he's got that intestinal fortitude to do it. Yeah, that's great. I don't know so, if I would. I think I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I should just lay down and die then. No, you wouldn't. I'm not going to go running. No, I know. I know. You, I mean, you assume that, but you know, when, when the blood tests come back and it's sort of like, <laughs> you know, you've got about one working heart valve, you're going to be like, all right. So That's how in we... my family too, the heart thing. Yeah. That's what I got to look out for. Well, are you getting checked up? Yeah. I, I started seeing a cardiologist preemptively mm. to stay on top because that's my family's thing. How's you your, know? what, is it cholesterol or just uh, I don't know what? what it is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. My dad died at 68. All, his brothers all died, you know. Mm. Very, quite young, mm. except for one of them. So you're on the statins? No, I'm not on anything. Everything's working fine. Wow, that's good. I'm just, uh, you know, and I quit smoking years ago. I smoked for up until, I smoked for 20 years. Yeah. I started when I was 17. When I was 27, I realized I've been smoking for 10 years and I yeah. made a promise to myself, I won't smoke more than 20. Yeah. And so I took it right to the 20 years, 37. <laughs> the day up. of. So you, you do comedy on the road and then you come back. So how does... Like it's it's always been my assumption, probably wrong so wrongfully, uh, that that if you're talented and you work hard in Canada, eventually they'll give you a show, um, at least like for a, a season. Socialized entertainment, yeah. Um, you know, there's I know you're being kind of facetious, but there is a there's not it's not that cut and dry, right? But the notion is there, you know, it's a small pool of talent, and if you 
if you you know yeah. are able to attain some level of success they'll cry you out sometimes on things but yeah. that's not that's certainly not a blanket statement because there are a million really funny Canadian guys who headline clubs and do great and you know there was a time when you know the big knock against Canadian broadcasters yeah. was you couldn't get them to come out to the I know like for me the big difference between American and Canadian networks as a young yeah. comedian when I was starting out like when I was like 25 I had a lot of heat people were like oh this kid's a funny young kid from Canada yeah. and so the difference between American and Canadian executives, mm -hmm. I couldn't get a meeting with Canadian exec television executives, mm -hmm. and they knew who I was. I was sure. like I was supposed to be the hot guy, yeah. and yeah. I couldn't get a meeting. Come down to L.A., I had meetings with NBC, CBS, and yeah, ABC. Because they want the new guy. And they were all like, okay, who the hell are you? What do you do? We don't know anything about you. What's your deal? They we, don't want to miss out on- Right, exactly. We hear you're hot. There's some rumor you can do something. What yeah. is it? Can yeah. I make a buck off it? Yeah. I had meetings at these big networks. And what happened? And well, I mean, nothing came of it, but right. they, you know, they took me and they had me read for stuff yeah. and all that kind of, and I was like, why the hell? And even a year, it took years and years later before I well, finally pitched a show that got sold in but, Canada. But what, what's the answer to that? Why the hell was it like that? I think it came down to individuals. I think the, oh, really? during that time, yeah. the, there was a lot of complacent executives mm -hmm. Who, what was on TV at that time? What were you guys watching? What were you guys jealous we were watching of? Watching American television. Uh, yeah, you know, mostly. No great Canadian comedies. Kids in the Hall was the big thing, but that yeah. was you know Lauren yeah. Michaels produced that, so that was. But that was a big thing when we were grown ups already. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in our twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So so how did it pan out? Like what? So you you got you come down here, you didn't get any traction, and you're still doing clubs. Well, I never really came. To, I mean, I came down here for a matter well, of a few audition, months, right? To meet and shit. But I came back to Canada. I was busy. I was the thing was I just had a good live. I was making a living Headlining. playing clubs. You know, I was booked every week, and I was. So, how, did, how did it run? Like, so you go back to places three times a year. Yeah, that kind and, of thing. Right, and there was about twenty places, and that was your year. Yeah. Right. And the, and a lot of a lot of one nighters. Sure, it was a good number of one nighters. So, uh, uh, and I started doing a lot of corporate shows. And oh so yeah, I was just busy, and you know, because I can work very clean for. Uh, yeah. I, I mostly work clean. I don't have a. It was never a conscious decision to. Yeah. But, and then the weird thing now is because I've worked clean for so long, mainly yeah. people assume yeah. I'm a clean. So now I'll go, do, and then I had this success on TV with yeah. the show that the whole family could enjoy. Really, yeah, right. It was a primetime sitcom, yeah. but, you know. So now I would go do a show and there'd be, I look down and the, somebody's got their eight-year-old kid in the front <laughs> front row and it's like, it's, kind of, it's a stand-up show. It's the worst. It's the worst. And I yeah, to, I'm not filthy, but I might be talking yeah. about my taxes. You know? I was in uh, Vancouver and some woman brought a baby and that turned, <laughs> turned into a whole, it was a, turned into a very weird story. So, but, so how do you... How do you develop a show? Like, so you come up with so corner the way, gas. The way that worked for me was, I was just going about my business doing stand up, and this director I know, David Story, who had directed a, a one off comedy thing that I had done, he came to me. Uh, he called me up. He said, "Listen, I'm in Vancouver. Let's go for coffee. I want to talk to you about." You something. were living in Vancouver. Yeah, I've lived in Vancouver for about twenty six years or something. You now. live in Vancouver now? Yeah, last twenty six years. I didn't or realize that. I love Vancouver. Yeah. Why didn't I realize that? Did I see you in Vancouver? Uh, you're a busy guy. I don't know. I saw you once in Vancouver mm. at- um, Oh, yeah. I was coming back from lunch with Kindler oh, during the, the festival street. there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we bumped into each other. But anyway, 
Uh, so this director says, let's go for coffee. I want to talk to you about something. He says, I've been talking to the network yeah, and they're, they want to know if you have any show ideas because I had just done, I'd been nominated for best comedy performance for the standup show I'd done on the CTV network. Right. And so they were kind of, oh, this, you know, he's a funny guy. He just got some heat with the special. Yeah. Nominated for an award. So this director had been talking to the network about some of his show ideas. They weren't keen on his show ideas, but they said, you know, you know Brent Bott. Yeah. Does he have any show ideas? So he came to me and said, do you have any show ideas? I said, well, the only thing that I, I wrote this treatment for a show about a gas station in the middle of Saskatchewan, but I can't imagine they'd be interested in that. He said, well, I'll talk to them about it. He came back and said, yeah, they're interested. So flush it out a bit. So I flushed it out some more. You know, I had this four page treatment. I hammered it out more, made it more detailed. Yeah. I kept thinking they were going to not be interested. It was like it was just they kept set being interested. in an isolated gas station. Yeah. The notion was it was just, it's kind of like, for me, the notion, well, what would my life be like if I hadn't pursued show business? I don't really have any marketable skills. I used to hang out at the gas station a lot. Yeah. And I thought that's probably what I'd be doing. So, so it's kind of premised on the life of if I hadn't pursued comedy, I would be running the gas station in small rural Saskatchewan. And, and that gas station has a little grocery and stuff. Yeah. 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 And then there's a coffee shop attached. Oh, okay. It. There you go. So that's it. And so this, um, the coffee shop had always been run by this woman named Ruby. She passed away and she willed it to her her niece yeah. who is from Toronto and she comes out to this small rural town. So it's kind of a fish out of water. Sure. But you're a local. Yeah, I'm a local. She's the only fish out of water. And it's like you're, you're, is there so a romance said or is it like, like the Ted Danson thing where you're just, there's a romantic tension between you two. Yeah, romantic right. tension between yeah. you two. And then we did six years of that and then we did a movie but so and wait, at the end of the movie you find out that my character and her have been dating for two years and nobody in town knows it. Oh. It kind of goes against the trope of everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. Right. Everybody's like, what? What the hell are you guys But so the entire country was invested in this. Like this is- Yeah, uh, this it is had the crazy- Well, this is a unique thing because- It is. This is a huge, this is a huge show. There are no Canadian hit shows. That's always been the, <laughs> the rule, right? No, but like, I don't know the show. No, it is. But, but like in the sense that like, it was a huge success in Canada. You were on the yeah. series for six years. And we were, it's the only time in history that the number one- comedy in Canada wasn't from America. It was the only, that's, for me, that's the, I'm very proud of that. We yeah. were actually the number one, we weren't the number one Canadian comedy, we were the number one comedy at yeah. the time. We were ahead of, you know, all the big people U.S. People were probably shows. proud almost. There's probably a national sense of pride. It seems to be, like when people talk about it, and yeah. they were, you know. Because you were, these were Canadian people. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I think one of the reasons it had success or connected with people is that you know, we were we weren't hiding the fact that we were Canadian, which some shows would do. They right. would be nebulous as to where they were to try and right. appeal to a US market. Right. We weren't that. We said we were Saskatchewan. Yeah. But that's all it it, it was never about being there really. It was yeah. never about Saskatchewan. It was what people would say it's a show about, you know, Saskatchewan. You go, "No, it's not. It's a show about." <laughs> and that's why people. it had this appeal. It, it played in 26 countries and It did. You know, we had guys yeah, I would have guys from Sweden say, it's just like the village I grew up in Sweden. Right. And I would have guys from Manhattan say, this is just like my neighborhood. Uh-huh. Because it had a real universality. It had to a run it. here? Yeah, it it came on WGN Superstation. Okay. For a couple years yeah. or something. And yeah. now it's on, It's as of, so now it's in 60 countries, the original series, not the animated one, although yeah. we're hoping that that'll launch in the US soon. The original 107 episodes plays on Amazon Prime. 
So, and it's taken off there. It's, no shit. It's The numbers are, you know, you have experts going into it who are saying like, you could do, expect X amount, X amount. It's blowing all those experts out so of the So do you get, you still get the residuals? No, we don't really do a residual system in Canada. Ah. Which for, in 99% of the time, that's a good system. They do a buyout system. Yeah. The only time it's not, not a real good system is when you have a hit. Yeah. <laughs> so now you just sit there and watch it have this life. But you, you know, you just kind of, I've done well by the show. You know, once it's a hit show, you know, you know, you negotiate your fees forward instead of backward as well. No, I get it. But like, you know, here, I guess. But yeah, I'll never one, be Jennifer Aniston. This is one of the appeals of coming to the <laughs> States is that, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no problem paying my hydro bill. That's, yeah. that, that's the difference between, that's Canadian yeah. success. Yeah. So, okay, so this ran for five or six six years. It did 100 and how many? Seasons. Six seasons, 107 episodes, and then I wrapped it up. The network yeah. wanted more shows, but I was like, we got to do something else. Yeah. We're all so getting older. Movie? And we, so five years later, the, the idea was, let's come back a few years later and do a movie, and that'll be the cherry on top. Yeah. So we did that. We did the movie. Was it successful? Theatrical release and everything, and then it was like the most watched. It, it got the award that year for most eyeballs or whatever, right? Yeah. And so the, so the movie did great. See, that's where here we call those ratings. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know the technical <laughs> term of it. We just call it. I <laughs> But we, uh, it sold out theaters, like phys- like my brother called me up and said, I can't get into your goddamn movie. And yeah. I was all mad. Elmer? <laughs> Lloyd. Oh, okay. And uh, so anyway, and the, the theaters, it was supposed to have a limited run. The success was, it was drawing enough numbers. The theaters negotiated with the network to have a longer window so we could keep it in theaters longer. Yeah. It did great business. And so then they, so then the network, you know, called me up again and said, listen, there's clearly still an appetite. Do you want to do something? You want to do more episodes? And I, I just didn't think it was the right thing. Me and my partners, we didn't think it was right to just go back and do more episodes. Yeah. But you like the idea of having a gig. So what could we do differently? And I I have this history of illustrating and cartooning. And, yeah. And we had talked about, we had kicked around the notion of doing an animated scene in yeah. one of the episodes. Yeah. And so, you know, we said, well, what if we did an animated version of the show? Let's, let's kick that idea around. And so I was in the fortunate position to know a guy named Norm Hiscock. Do you know Norm Hiscock? He's a comedy writer. I feel like I've heard He his wrote name. Kids in the Hall on Saturday, yeah. oh, yeah, Night, yeah, Saturday yeah. Night Live okay. and everything. He was one of the writers on Corner Gas. Yeah. And he was a writer on King of the Hill. Yeah. So here's a guy who knows our show yeah. and knows primetime animation. Right. So I went to him right away and I said, listen. Is he Canadian? We're, yeah. Yeah. I said, we're thinking about doing an animated version of Corner Gas, primetime animated. Yeah. What would we change? What would we do different? And he just emphatically said, don't do anything different. This is the perfect show to animate. Let, yeah. just, let's, so we brought him on to help develop the show to, to make an animated show. And, and where's that at now? How so season one was big hit. Broke the, broke the uh, record for, uh, what, did, what did you say, ratings? Eyeballs. Eyeballing? Yeah, eyeballs. The most people- Most eyeballs? We, we broke Charlie Sheen's record for the on the Comedy Network. The biggest debut of a show was Anger Management. Uh-huh. Oh, and so yeah, we got yeah. that. Now, now it's Corner Gas Animated. That, that was built to syndicate globally, <laughs> yeah. and no one watches it here. So we, anyway, it's a big hit, and so we got the second season. We're in the works of that now. So that's that's amazing. Like it's like, uh, and and in Canada, I guess. Well, you have all the stuff. You have streaming and everything else, yeah. but there's still a pretty uh, lively, uh, just basic TV audience. 
Like for CBC stuff, or is it? Yeah, I, you know, I think so. It's the it's across the board. It's, it's declining like everywhere else. Yeah, right. it's a network show. I mean, the, the animated version airs on cable first on the Comedy Network, which is like the yeah. Canadian version of Comedy okay. Central. Yeah, Comedy Network it airs there first, and then airs in the summer on the main network, CTV. So you and then it streams in Canada on Crave, which is a Canadian streaming service. Yeah, but outside of Canada, it's on Amazon Prime. I got to watch now. I know where to watch but, it. But not the, the animated isn't streaming outside Canada yet. Okay. Only the original. The original is on Amazon Prime. Yeah. The original corner. Now, what was Hiccups? Hiccups was the follow-up. After I kind of uh, said, we don't do any more corner gas. Yeah. They said, uh, well, would you like to do another show? You're a bona fide comedy star. Yeah, let's see if you can do it again. Yeah. So, yeah, so we did, uh, I I came up with this other idea for a show called Hiccups, yeah, which is about a uh, child, um, a very popular children's book author who has um, emotional issues. Yeah, <laughs> she has anger management issues and other emotional hiccups, and um, and so uh, that, that's what we did next. We did the series. That's with, with that. your wife. Yeah. So Nancy Robertson, who was an actor that we hired to to come on Corner Gas and play the retail assistant Wanda on Corner yeah. Gas. She and I hit it off during the filming of Corner Gas. That's and we nice. ended up getting married. Show business couple. Yeah. Canadian power show business couple. <laughs> power couple. Yeah. Damn straight. Show business power couple. Now tell me about the Peter uh, Ustinoff Award. The Peter Ustinoff Award is an award that the Comedy Network gives out at the Banff Television oh. Award, I guess. And, and you- it's, it signifies... Uh, a, a, a significant body of comedic work. Like a lifetime achievement type of deal. Yeah. And you got one of those. Yeah. Was Peter Ustinov Canadian? No, but he spent a lot of time in Canada. Oh. He loved Canada. I just, I just he always it. said Toronto is like if New York was run by the Swiss. That was his, <laughs> his famous line. <laughs> so, like, all said, you know, you've got a great life and a great career, and, and, and but here in the States, you know, you're fairly obscure. Yeah. You know, I know you from working in Canada, but d- is that ever something that that haunts you in any way? Do you wish that? Because uh, I know there are cats that you know come down and for, even from England or forever, and they try to get some traction here, and they just they really want it, and it doesn't necessarily happen. Do you f- have that experience? No, not really. I mean, I would I would love to be a huge. It's a big market. It'd be right. big money if I was a big star Stand here. Up, yeah, but I. When I came down to LA, I kind of did that uh, chase the showbiz thing yeah. for about six months down here. Yeah, and there was real palpable opportunity. You could see it, and I had some. I had interest from managers. Jimmy yeah. Miller was like a big champion of me for a long time. R- really helped me out. And um, and Mike McDonald, God bless him. He he introduced me to club owners and stuff, yeah. and he was a big supporter. Um, but what I found was when I was down here. I, I, it's hard to put my finger on it. If I was myself on stage, it would go okay. Yeah. But I think, I think, I have a, a strange Canadian accent yeah. where it's, it's not like real strong East Coast Canadian accent or something. It's not that real kind of tight Ontario accent. Yeah. It's not real Fargo-esque. Right. It's the closest thing. Like Midwestern, 
Yeah. Like yeah. when I watched Fargo, the, I couldn't stop laughing because everybody just sounded like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> my dad would like, especially on the phone when the uh, the William H. Macy character would be yeah. on the phone. Yeah. I just, my father on the phone, this was oh, him yeah. all the time. He was oh, like, yeah. right, real good. Yeah. yeah, real good then. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> all right then, real good. You. Oh yeah, real good. Right then. So I was just cracking up during Fargo. But I think my my accent- Was it obstacle? Was just different enough that people, th they were spending the whole time in my act going, where the fuck is this guy right, from? Right, right. It was not American. Yeah. But they, they couldn't could, figure but out But it where. wasn't like a thick Irish brogue right, or- wasn't a caricature. It wasn't Yakov Smirnoff. Right. So it was, and if I would dial that back and talk more American- Yeah. I would do much better. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy it so much. I right. felt I wasn't being myself. I sure. felt I wasn't being, the whole time I was on stage, I was just consciously, it was like you playing the Victoria curling rink. You're like, you're ahead of, it's not natural. Right. And so I, and then eventually I, did, I didn't have the paperwork to stay here and work. Right. So I kind of had to make the decision, what am I going to do? Am I going to pursue this? And it co kind of coincided with me getting a lot of traction in Canada and do, get, being busy. Yeah. And I kind of feel like the decision was made for me a bit. And I just think internally there's part of me that as a little kid, I always, because there wasn't a lot of Canadian TV. Yeah. And I only grew up with two channels. I'd get CBC and CTV. And it was mostly American shows. Yeah. And if I ever saw anything Canadian, especially Canadian comedic. Yeah. I was raptured by it and I wanted more of it. Yeah. And so I grew up kind of wanting to make Canadian comedy yeah, as like a patriotic thing, something I didn't have much of growing right. up. Sure. And then people always said, well, you can't, we don't do sitcoms in Canada. I always said, well, there's no reason we couldn't. I mean, yeah. I get the, I get the economics of it. A, a hit show in the States will pay for 50 failures. Yeah, right. right. We don't have that economic. Yeah. Canada. You can get one shot, <laughs> yeah. one shot every five years at a sitcom. And yeah. then, so the, the, you know, you got a bat a thousand and who right. bats a thousand. So we just happened to come up with a show that, um, worked that so, people really liked. Well, yeah. Congratulations. Um, so now you're doing the animated thing, but how, and you're on the road a lot? Still, yeah. or, you do theaters. You're you're a star in Canada. How how often you got to turn over your hour? You get what are you generating? How how often should I turn it over, or do I turn it? Well, over? I mean, I have to assume I, I don't. Uh, I have spent so much time on production and writing scripts for the yeah, animated show sure, now sure. that um, I can't turn my act over as much as I would like. Does, but do, does that eat at you? I can't deal with it. Where you go out, you were just there like six months ago, and you go out with the same act. Uh, it. It bothers me until you go out and it's working. If it gets big laughs, and then you forget all about it. And so oh, far, yeah. it keeps working. Okay. I mean, I change. I have a you know, I've been doing stand up for thirty some years. Yeah. I got a wet, I got a big sure tickle trunk, as we would say in Canada, of Do material. You? Yeah, <laughs> we used to have a show in Canada called Mister Dress Up. It was like Mister Rogers. Yeah, and he had a tickle trunk. a tickle trunk. <laughs> yeah, where he'd pull costumes out. And <laughs> let's see what's in the tickle trunk. Well, it's funny though when you, you're sort of like you know when I did that bit, people didn't really know me. So there's a lot of people that have never heard that bit. Yeah, well, there is there is some of that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you're like that was a great bit. I spent uh, six months making that bit work, and then I put it on TV, and I fucking buried it. I'm <laughs> pulling that out. You can retool it. With some stuff like I just started redoing a. I I was going through an old notebook of mine because I had this concern. I was like, God damn, I got to start pulling some different stuff out. Yeah. Um, because I was playing a show at this casino where I kind of come back every year. Yeah. And I was like, Ah, I think they're going to start yeah. hating me if I don't come up with something new. So I was going through a notebook, and I re this is when it kind of hit me. 
sometimes you see a reference and you realize how long you've been doing it. Yeah. I had a bit in my act about push button phones. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, holy Jesus, yeah. how long have I been doing this? Yeah. Anyway, I ended up kind of retooling that into being a bit about how long I've been doing stand up. Sure. Oh, and I kind of told that story, but I had a bit in my act. And you could do the bit. So it's kind of, it's a bit of a cheat kind of, but it works. People sure. like the story of it. Yeah, and, yeah. Know, as, long, as long as there's some kind of authentic grain to it. Well, yeah. And as you get older, you get more you know grounded in yourself and you can talk a little freer about yourself. Yeah. Right? And I think you have, um, f- for good or bad, I think you, you start to um, get less hung up on all those little kind of yeah anxieties and- yeah, there's certainly, I have found that, like, I don't have the same fears, but that one fear of repeating myself is is a real one. You know, like, I, and then you start to realize, like, well, like, just even five years ago, I wasn't selling the amount of tickets I've been selling now. And, like, right. you, you think all these people have listened to every one of my records or seen no, any of my specials? You're crazy. There's one special that you, it's, you can't even find the fucking thing. Yeah, it's all, fold that in, man. Yeah. Don't I let know. that go no, I know it's like it, it is kind of crazy, but then like because of that pressure I put on myself, myself, <laughs> <laughs> that thick Irish brogue yeah, yeah. that Mark Marin is known for. Uh, you know, I, I I eventually somehow churn out, you know, a good new hour every year and a half or two years just out of compulsion. But is it really good though, Mark? That's the... It gets there. It gets there. It gets there. <laughs> but that's the that's the th- too. There's one of the one of the insecurities that I think all stand-ups have. Especially if you, you know, once you've had some success and yeah. you're, you're a guy who can go out and get big laughs, right? right you're right. that guy yeah. and you're used to it yeah. and you're hooked on that. Right. Now you go out and you you got a bunch of new stuff and it's maybe not as honed. Yeah. It doesn't have 10 yeah. years in the clubs behind yeah, yeah. it and it's not getting the laughs you're used to and you just bail on it. You yeah. throw down a smoke pellet and haul out the old bits. Right? Yeah. I don't, I don't do that as much because what I'll, I'll do is I'll do like, uh, I'll get a small space and do like a workshop, like a, yeah. uh, uh, instead of doing it on the road, I'll do it at a, like a residency at a theater once a week, you know, for a month or two where I'll just like, you know, have, make sure it's my fans, low expectations. I'll ramble through an hour right. and a half and try to keep breaking it down because you try to kind of, yeah, yeah. Once you start sandwiching those half baked bits into the well-worn <laughs> ones, you know, you can always it's another great back. Canadian snack, the half baked bits. <laughs> if you ever get a chance to <laughs> made with real Canadian bits. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's just the job. But in, no matter what I'm but, doing, yeah, I do that too. Like, I, you know, Vancouver's got a great club called the Comedy Mix, and it's, yeah, you know, it's not a big club. It's a oh, little that little club. place, that's great. Yeah, it's yeah. A little club. so yeah. I'll go down there and work on new bits. That's and, the way to do it, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Fuck it. Club. And then, like, no expectations. No yeah. one's paying the big I, bread. And I, I pop up unannounced, so yeah. nobody has like paid a ticket to see me. Yeah, I just come up and do ten or fifteen minutes of, of new. Isn't stuff. that rewarding though? Even if it doesn't yeah. work as good, yeah. Like, you know, like the the. Because I miss playing the clubs. Well, that and the other thing about that is, is that like you know there is that thing where you have bits that you know work, but then you're doing the new bits and they're not quite there yet. But that first time that you know you, you in a low pressure situation and it hits, that's that's the real fucking laugh. Yeah. That that you know. Yeah. It's not the, it's not just doing the job. That's the uh, I'm still funny. <laughs> yeah, still got it. Yeah. It's like whoo. Yeah. Exactly. Because I think there is that fear. That's one of the insecurities. Insecurities is can that, I still do it? Yeah. You know, I put out a tweet the other a little while ago where I said, you know, I was just up early in the morning. I'm having a coffee and I'm and I and I, I, I tweeted out nothing says I'm a vibrant contemporary part of the comedy scene like being up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning for no reason. <laughs> yeah, like the notion of that when yeah. I was 30. 
Yeah. Of being up at yeah. 7 a.m. on yeah. Saturday for no, Sunday for no reason. Yeah. Because I would have gone to bed at 4 or 5. Well, now he's just an old guy. I know. You I'm get just up. an old dude. Right? Yeah. You get up. I, 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 yeah. My wife and I go to, we hit the sack about 10. <laughs> we watch a Miss Marple and, uh, <laughs> and then I'm up at 7. Yeah. I get that thing where it's just sort of like, you know, when, I, when I've got to start from scratch, like, you know what I mean? Where I, I don't know, like that, that moment where you're like, I don't, where does it come from? How do I do this? Yeah. That, well, I think part of the thing is when we were, you know, just in the clubs every night doing it yeah, every just night. just making it scribbling all the time. You're never really, it, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it never felt to me like I was, you didn't have that workload of like sitting down and just put three hours today yeah. and hammer some stuff together because you're doing a show every night. So you're just kind of, you're going and doing the show, having and a couple drinks, hanging with your buddies. And then wandering and around. The work. Yeah, then wandering around all day, thinking. But, but the work, that's not the work anymore. No, Because exactly. we're not that's in the true. clubs every night. That's true. So now that's the true. work is, oh, I got to sit down at the kitchen table Ugh. and really do some actual writing. Yeah, I don't do Ugh. I, yeah, I can't stand it. Like, you know, like when I have, like I have a day off from shooting and I, I don't have any uh, interviews or whatever, where I don't have anything to do, I'm like, this is what I was working for. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is how I spent most of my life. Because, yeah, you're in the clubs, you're doing shows every night, but you're also doing nothing. Yeah. You're just wandering around with your notebook, and then you'll have coffee, and then you walk a few blocks, and be like, oh, shit, I'm going to write that down. And but that's that. But you're also driven by the fact that you-, you get up on stage. You know, they're about to cut your phone off because you right. haven't paid the bill in two <laughs> months. And now your bills are paid. Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you yeah. know? Yeah, sure. You've put in these years of battling. You become the, the old polar bear, Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. You can put the battle armor down. And- yeah, I wish. I, yeah, I, I, I have. I and I do, but thank God my brain's still a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. your bread and butter. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's what. Don't ever lose that. Well, that's one of my things. Is like. And I don't know if I'm, it makes me question whether my whole life isn't just a load of bullshit because <laughs> you always hear about, oh, the best comedy comes from angst and, uh, you know, yeah. and I just never had any of that. I grew up very, you know, my parents were pretty cool. My siblings and I got along. But you, I, but you do have the, uh, yeah, failure's okay. So that's just as good as angst. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like the, the sort of defeatism, you know. I've pre-defeated myself. Right. That you know, that that's the other way. Yeah, you 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 you're gonna uh, you might be onto something. This could be a whole revolutionary angle of psychotherapy where you just say to people, "Listen, just pre-defeat yourself, yeah. and you'll get rid of the anxiety." That's, that's the you're way already I've thought. a failure. Sure, sure. Dread. I you know I'm a big dread fan. Like but, I'm not gonna go to like that's <laughs> gonna be terrible. What do you? I, I don't even. But wanna... what is it about? See, I don't. But I just don't. I don't have that. I'm. I don't want to bomb, but I'm fine with bombing. At the end of the day, it's like right. it's not. I don't have uh, somebody's child's life in my hands, sure, you know. Sure. If I, <laughs> I remember when I my uh, I was dated this girl years ago, yeah. and I went on a double date with her friend and her boyfriend. Her yeah. boyfriend was like this vice cop in Toronto, right? And I remember him saying to me, "Well, oh, I would never have the nerve to do what you do." And I was like, "Didn't you kick in the door to a crack house today? Yeah. Like, how do you? Where does that? <laughs> like, I never take a shotgun blast to the chest. Like, if I'm having a bad day, <laughs> if I make the wrong decision, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, I get up tomorrow, try it again. You'll beat the shit out of yourself a little, but you're not going to take a shotgun. But blast. I don't know. There's something about I've never. I've always wanted to do well, but I've never put too much gravity on it or something. Oh, that's good. That's a good. That's a good way to go about. What's but the, I wonder if it isn't like some sort of bullshit mask, because especially when because I hear that from mean? people. You think people say something... to me, "Oh, you know, you're very, 
grounded and you're very calm. Yeah. And I feel like that's the case. But then I sometimes I think, well, is that just, you know, do you ever, that's my anxiety. My anxiety is, am I, re- am am I, re- I really this calm? <laughs> is well, this all bullshit? <laughs> they don't have therapy in Canada? Yeah, but it's socialized and it's not, <laughs> yeah, you know. Everybody's got to work as as a therapist for <laughs> yeah. two weeks, yeah. so they're not good at it. <laughs> it's some guy who was a milkman the week before. Well, you do discover things about yourself. I mean, it's a matter of wanting to. Maybe maybe you shouldn't question it too much. It yeah. seems to be working for you. <clears throat> for if me, you... I just wanted the laugh. I just like the laugh. I don't think there's more to it than that for but me. But also, you were the last kid. Was there a, a struggle for attention? I think so. I think yeah. there's that. Yeah. And... If I could make my older brothers or sisters there laugh, that was a great because it it didn't come easy. They wouldn't give it up easy right, to the right. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you made them laugh, you knew it was legit, and that right. was a, that was a high. See that you 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 learned your craft by wanting to be liked by your siblings. Yeah, there you go. Let the beatings <laughs> stop for two minutes. <laughs> That's the next special title. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm planning on doing a special this year because yeah. I've never done one. And I, almost for posterity's sake, I want to get it out to say yeah. I was here. You know, sure. that's what I did. And Corner Gas is partly that uh-huh. um, bit of posterity, part of my stamp. Yeah, yeah. But I was also, you know, I'm a stand-up. Sure. So I want some of my stand-up out there more. So I'm going to do a special this year. So I'm kicking around titles. Well, good, man. Well, I'm glad that, uh, you know, that this Corner Gas is something you can do for the rest of your life. It's great. Here's, here's hoping. And well, that's one of the things about doing it animated now, right? Yeah, yeah. doesn't sure. matter how old or bald yeah. or fat, it's as great. long as I kind of sound the same. That's why I love doing this. And I can do it in my house. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got it done. What are you doing down here? I had a couple of meetings. I have an agency down here. We're talking about some stuff. and Corner Gas American style? Well, you know, the notion is to get Corner Gas yeah. down streaming in the state. The, the animated version streaming the way that- Oh, good. So there's, you know, there's interest in that. and Yeah. And just st- talking about stuff, keeping the machine going, you know. All right, man. Well, I'm glad we made time for this, Brent. And I'll, me and too. I, Thanks I'll, for having me. Sure. I'll see you up in Canada. There you go, Canada. Me and Brent Butt, and I'm and I'm talking to you right now from Hamilton, Ontario. It's all coming together. The th- the forces. It's it's Canada Day here a few days early. You can subscribe to Brent's YouTube channel, The Butt Pod. You can also find him on Twitter, Instagram, and at brentbutt.com. His uh, show Corner Gas, I believe, is animated now, and you can go watch that somewhere. Oh my God, you guys. Shooting is tiring. I know, again, these are what they call luxury problems in the recovery racket, but uh, but I'm going to go out. It looks like I have a little time, so I'm going to go enjoy Hamilton. The hammer. Boomer lives! <laughs> <laughs>